today, I would say that women are taught they are not happy because they live in a patriarchy. They are held back from the best jobs because they are women. They are oppressed because they make less money than men for the same work. And even though these are proven falsehoods, women in general believe them and feel unfulfilled. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to do on your own. You have to do the work, but we can come alongside you to encourage you. Yes, in partnership, we can uh, give you confidence in what you believe, Mm -hmm. develop your critical thinking skills with you, and have some fun along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without (laughs) the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome, everybody. It's just so good to be with you as we do this study of 1 Peter. I think we're going to really enjoy today, Chapter 3, where we dig into a number of uh, uh, biblical principles and how they apply today. And like, I just want to reiterate that the whole purpose of listening to the Salty Pastor on a regular basis is number one, you get to do a little bit more in-depth Bible study. You really get to understand the historical context in which these revelatory truths were written. And that's critical to understanding them. And that is what is so important when you translate these biblical principles uh, into your life today. And it helps you understand in the purest form, the revelation of God. And that is what is life transforming for you each and every day in the contemporary society in which you live. So the word of God is a powerful and wonderful thing. And the salty pastor is designed to help you know it better. So we are currently in our series, Don't Freak Out, a study in First Peter, written as a letter to the first century church because yes. they were suffering persecution from Nero mm-hmm. after he started a fire and yeah. then blamed it on them. Yeah. Um, and that fire burned down almost a third of the city of Rome. And we did a study of chapter three on Tuesday where we, we talked about the verses, we read through them, we talked about what they mean. And I'm curious to see how you're <laughs> going to apply those biblical principles to our current situation. I know why you said that because it says wives and it's like, okay, (laughs) what are these two men going to talk about wives? Well, first we need an axiom, you know, this is a truth that is unchangeable. It's like gravity. It never changes. It's foundational. Uh, it's a, it's a principle that we know is always consistently applied. And the axiom in this case is that everything that is happening in American society today is the result of an ideology that has been adopted and propagated into our culture. It is a, uh, many of what, much of what is happening today is a result of a worldview that has a specific way of thinking. Now on Tuesday, when we studied chapter three, uh, we realized that Peter said in the same way. So based on what he said in chapter one and chapter two, he wants us to apply those biblical principles to first wives, second husbands, and then third to everyone else. So Peter first addresses the wives Mm -hmm. and the biblical principle has to do with value. Yes, it was value. Mm -hmm. And the soul of a woman needs to experience this value. And Peter tells them how to do that. 
Where do you see this principle of value being missed out on in today's world? Well, that's a great question. And I'm so glad you asked it. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we live in a society, this is what's really interesting. We live in a society today uh, where women in compared to women in every other nation in the world today, they have more wealth. Mm. They control more wealth. They have more wealth. They have more opportunity and more freedom to pursue jobs or any choices that they want. Uh, They have more freedom, more choices, more value than any other women in any other nation in the world today and any women in the history of the world. This is determined by objective external factors. However, in America today, women are less happy, more lonely, more unfulfilled and dissatisfied than ever before. The research into this shows that it's growing exponentially at double digit rates in some areas. The rates of anxiety and depression are off the charts. Antidepressants are prescribed to women over men at a two to one ratio, according to the CDC. Now, I would postulate that this is incongruent. How is it that we have more freedom, more egalitarianism, more opportunity, and yet women are more unhappy and lonely, filled with anxiety and depression than ever before? And that is because I believe women have been trained to think in a certain way, just like men have been trained to think in a certain way. So your need as a woman is not being met by the world's way of thinking. And this is a very important distinction. And that is, it's not so much the points that you are thinking like, oh, the world is this way, this thing, this thing, this thing. And that's why I'm not happy. It's why do I look at and evaluate and judge a certain thing to be a certain way? And that's called the way you think about something. And it's the way you think about something that is driving up this incongruence, this cognitive dissonance that creates anxiety. So in order to understand this, we have to go upstream to discover the truth. And Today, I would say that women are taught they are not happy because they live in a patriarchy. They are held back from the best jobs because they are women. They are oppressed because they make less money than men for the same work. And even though these are proven falsehoods, women in general believe them and feel unfulfilled. In Orlando uh, Figgis, he wrote a book. He's a historian, a, a specialist on Russia. It's called about the Bolshevik Revolution by Lenin. He states that it took 20 years of undermining the Russian aristocracy before the revolution could take place. What Lenin and his group did is they waited for any difficulty, problem, or perceived injustice that happened in their society. One was a big famine, right? Uh, What happened is they then exploited it because in order to have a revolution, you have to completely destroy the current system. This is Marxism 
101. In the same way, and from the earliest age, girls are taught that they are discriminated against by a system dominated by males. They've been trained to view any inequality, any different outcome, any disparity in society between males and females, uh, that it is a result of an oppressive patriarchy. This is the reason or the ideological bent of feminism. So I think this is really interesting because my understanding, the premise of feminism is to help women. Yes. That was the idea behind it. Why is feminism wanting to create dissatisfaction in the lives of women? Well, here's where I would disagree with you is that that's not the idea behind feminism. Okay. Is to help women. That's not the idea. And we'll dig into that in just a minute. Let's go back to the sixties, which is another upstream step. Okay. The ideology was women have not made any real progress. This is in the sixties, uh, uh, feminism, third wave feminism started in the sexual revolution. Okay. All the hippies and all the crazy stuff going on. Right. It says the ideology was that women have not made any progress since the 19th amendment, which was passed in 1920. Okay. And the reason was because society, uh, the reason why women hadn't made any progress in the sixties was it was patriarchal system designed to oppress women. Uh, all inequalities between men and women is not a result of biology or choice, but it's the result of this oppressive systemic patriarchal system. And the premise is that males and females, uh, the reason why it's oppressive to females is because in reality, the uh, authors of 60s third wave feminism stated that in is that males and females are exactly the same there's really no difference between them mm. okay biologically or in gender male and female were artificial categories now you remember we talked about rousseau before and rousseau's ideology his philosophy is that a person is pure and perfect and what corrupts them is the society and it's a system. And so it indoctrinates them and puts them in there. So in order for the person to be free, you have to tear down the system. And in the same way, that's the notion is that male and female categories, uh, are social constructs by society and they're, they're devastating to males and females. Uh, Simone de Bouvier wrote a book called the second sex. And she argued that femininity was disconnected from biology. So the fact that a female acts the way she does in a feminine manner has nothing to do with her biological makeup. She says the female is a woman insofar as she feels herself as such. And then she goes on in her book, the second sex, she goes, everything uh, helps to confirm this hierarchy in the eyes of a little girl, the historical and literary culture to which she belongs songs and legends to which she is lulled to sleep are one long exaltation of man, children's books, mythology, stories, and tales all reflect pride and desire of men. Thus it is through the eyes of men that the little girl discovers her destiny therein. She all then, she also went on to write that the new system needs to bar women from becoming mothers entirely. So what you see is she says, the system is corrupt and it destroys little girls. And the only thing we can do now is destroy the system. And in order to do that, we have to go to great lengths. Listen to this. She wrote, no woman should be authorized to stay at home and take care of her children. 
So she wants to ban women from staying home. You have to go work. She goes on to say women should not have that choice because if women had the choice, too many women would make that one. So the point was not to help women, according to uh, Simone de Bouvier. She was a French philosopher and a feminist icon of third wave feminism. And she says we have to remove choice from women in order to help women, which is really kind of an interesting logic if you think about it. Uh, in the book Feminist Mystique by Betty Friedman, she wrote motherhood and marriage is a comfortable concentration camp. So she compares being a mom and being married as a woman to Jews that were murdered in a concentration camp, you know, so the hyperbole is over the top. She stated that gender roles turn women into walking corpses. So you see here is that, that wow, intense. <laughs> this is pretty intense. We're, we're not talking. So, so remember you said, I thought the idea behind feminism was to help women, right? So you're seeing what, that the ideas, the public, the public facing side, is yeah, supposedly. but the ideas that really drove it are not obviously to help women or free women. It's to force women into something else. And the question is, what is that something else? What's well, really interesting because John Money in 1965, two years after the feminist mystique was written, he started the Johns Hopkins. This is John Hopkins Medical Center, the preeminent medical facility in the United States of America, one of the top. Um, he started a thing called the Gender Identity Clinic, and he believed you could make a girl into a boy or a boy into a girl no matter what. So what we see here is that the, it, in third ways feminism, the issue was not to help females, but ultimately it was to devalue and eradicate the category of female. Because male and female categories are social constructs. That's a system that we must tear down. In 1968, Robert Stoller wrote that uh, sex and gender argued uh, in his book, Sex and Gender. He argued that sex and gender were completely separated from one another. That's why if you go onto a campus today, people will say, well, gender is a social construct. That's why you can pick any one of 72 different genders on Facebook because it's a social construct and you should be able to choose whatever you want. Another uh, feminist uh, in the 60s, uh, Shulamith Firestone, wrote the goal of the feminist revolution must be unlike that of the feminist movement. So here's where we see the notion that early on women's suffrage, which was designed to help women, which ended up in the 19th amendment voted on in 1920 is different than the feminist revolution today. She says the feminist movement is of no value. The goal of the feminist revolution must be not just the removal of male privilege, but sex distinction in itself, genital distinctions in human beings where it does not matter culturally. So what you see here is that the feminist movement and third wave feminism in the sixties diverted from this notion that females were a unique category of women that needed to be helped into, we want to remove any and all distinctions between males and females. And the most important thing that we can do is restrict the choices of women. Otherwise, they will choose to propagate this brainwashed patriarchal system that we need to tear down. So if their idea is to eliminate all distinction between males and females, 
What's the point? Why are they doing that? Well, uh, Shulamith Firestone said it this way. She said, I want to end the tyranny of the biological family because it's our biology that is stopping us. Okay, listen to this. This is very important. It's our biology, how we are made, that is stopping us from achieving the goal of this revolution that we want. So we're going to have to get rid of biology. First of all, and foremost, is that even possible? No. That is just how radically stupid this ideology is. They want to, they want to tear down systems that they believe are all social constructs that have nothing to do with biology, the laws of physics, the laws of the universe, natural law. They want to tear down any other system in order to create a new one. So why do they want to tear down the system? I guess that's the question is what, if, if this is their goal, like we're moving through their various goals and what they've stated, what, why are they doing this? Why? Well, okay. As I said, the idea behind feminism in the sixties was not to help women, but it was to tear down the systems. And we have to go upstream to realize why are they doing that? And guess where we go back to the favorite place that we've talked about over and over again. And it was the philosophers of from Marcuse. And these are the guys who created the social theory of the Frankfurt school that left Frankfurt university in the early thirties because of the rise of the third Reich and landed at Columbia university in the thirties. And they were all Marxists, every single one of them. And Marxism had a real problem in the thirties. Okay. And here was the problem. And that is it was just raging through all of Europe and Russia and, uh, Eastern Asia. It was just kind of gaining all of this momentum. But the problem is, is it never gained any root in America. And here's the reason why all people who study this stuff, researchers, scholars, and so forth say the same thing. And that is, is that in Marxism, in order for it to work, in, order, in other words, in order to overthrow for the revolution to come from the proletariat and throw over the bourgeoisie, in, or, in order to do that, you have to have a hierarchical system that's a social structure that there's no movement or mobility from it. Okay. It has to be static. It's very, very static. In, in Russia in particular, it was very, very static. In the 1800s, in the early 1900s, if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, right? The social structure was very static. You couldn't move from one to another. And that's why part of that show that's so interesting that revolved around the chauffeur. Remember the chauffeur fell in love with the youngest I've daughter? I've never seen Downton Never seen Abbey. Okay. Well, he was, you know, he was that way. And then she died in birth. And then now he was the father of one of the heirs. So he, his social status improved because of that, but, but to just move into a different social strat was very, very difficult. Okay. And according to Marx, because of that, the, the working class will always rise up and overthrow, mm-hmm. but you go to America and guess what? You could be dirt poor. You could show up with a nickel in your pocket at Ellis Island. You could be an Irish man uh, who came over for the uh, potato famine. And guess what? Before you know it, you, you know, one generation later, you're living in your own house, you're driving your own car. You're so social mobility in America is extremely easy to do if you're just willing to work hard. Okay. And that was that way for a very, very long time. So what they did is they shifted in their ideology. And that is in the Frankfurt school of social theory, they shifted away from just class to race and gender. Okay. Okay. 
Because guess what? In America, you could change your social strata very easily up into 1964, right? But we had very hardcore race classes that you can't shift out of. Right. And in the South, it was structured under Jim Crow. You couldn't move out of your social class um, be, until 1964 Civil Rights Movement. Right. So they use that to try to propagate their Marxist ideology. And the other thing that they used was women's suffrage, right? Okay. And so it didn't take root until the 60s. It took them about 20 years, 25 years. They had to raise a entire class of girls, right, up under this ideology and teach it to them in the university. And then they picked up and they ran with it. So Marxism believes that societies will naturally evolve into communist societies, right? However, people are unable to see this because they're brainwashed. Eric Fromm, one of the founders of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, stated that American freedoms were actually fascist. He says the right to express our thoughts means something only if we are able to have our own thoughts of our own. And he said the system that you live in, capitalism, democracy, voting, going to school and getting educated is a system of oppression that controls and brainwashes your thoughts. He then states that you can't have thoughts of your own because, the, because this system has produced this ideology within you. So the only way to have your own thoughts is to agree with his collectivist thoughts, which is really super strange because basically what he's saying, the only way that you can be free is to join the Borg. <laughs> Resistance okay. is futile. Yes. Therefore, you must tear down the existing system and blow it up so that a revolution could take place. And so this social theory then went into the whole notion of the racial classes in America, and it evolved in the 60s and 70s into what today we are experiencing as critical race theory. And it also took over feminism in the 60s, right? The right. women's suffrage movement morphed into third wave feminism into a brand new ideology. So basically there's an ideological philosophy that is driving the society to train women to think like this, the, what yes. we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. It isn't about helping women find value. It's about using women to bring about a Marxist utopia. Yes, that's that, exactly right. That really sucks for women. <laughs> yes. And... I'm sorry it took us so long to get there, but this is why if a wife or a woman wants to find value in her life, she should listen to the Apostle Peter, not the gender studies department at the local university. <laughs> I think it's helpful to know where these things come from because then we can really see the why behind what is being taught or encouraged. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any woman saying, I want to be a feminist. I, I just think if you're a woman and you want to be a feminist, then you better know what you believe and why you believe it. Here's a little story about uh, five years ago. Uh, prior, prior to five years ago, uh, my wife and I have always been involved, particularly with the uh, modern day abolitionist movement in human trafficking. Uh, she started a nonprofit organization called Idaho Coalition for Justice that fought uh, human trafficking in Idaho. And it just really helped get that moving and rolling. And there's so many really great things. And, and we were really wonderfully a part of that. And some people started coming to Foothills Christian Church because they were excited about our fight against human trafficking. And also the, the fact that we were very involved with a ministry at the time called Safe Place Ministries that was a big ministry that helped women who were victims of domestic violence, right? And so we had this young couple and she was a very 
uh, uh, A-type personality, very strong. And she worked for the federal government, or not the federal government, but the state government Mm -hmm. in helping victims of domestic violence and women and stuff like that. She was an advocate for them and she had this job and she's very passionate about it. And I thought it was great. She brought her husband with her and they came to church. And so one time I I was preaching on how uh, feminist ideology is really not about helping women. It's about this about these things. And I kind of brought these up and this was about four years ago, five years ago. And after church, she came up to me and she said, well, Webster says that feminism is helping women get equal pay for equal work. And I said, I really think you need to go and do some reading Mm. because you don't know what it is. And so she went and she started to read some, some things and she came back to me and she says, Oh, I guess I agree with them. So I'm leaving the church. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) but at least now, you know, right? right? Because it's not my faith, right? It's your faith. And you have to know what you believe and you have to know why you believe it. And this is the problem we have today, and it's called the deception of deconstructionism. Okay. Okay. It's D and D not Dungeons and Dragons. It's the deception of deconstructionism (laughs) and deconstructionism lies to you because this is what it does is it says, tell me what you don't believe. And so you go, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this, but here's the lie. When you say you don't believe this, by default, you believe something else. That's in logic is called the law of non-contradiction. Okay. Okay. So if I don't believe this over here, then I actually believe something else over there. And deconstructionism never asks you to define what you actually really believe. This is why if you are ever in, in a discussion with anybody and remember in first Peter three, it says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you to anyone who asks you to give an account. Right. So be ready to do that. And so the best way to do that is someone says, well, I believe that, you know, such and such is true in opposition to a biblical worldview or Christianity, whatever. And the best thing that you can just say is, okay, well, why is that? So if you don't believe that, then what do you believe? So get them to articulate the positive of what they believe. If you don't believe that you have to believe something. So what is it? Do you believe that there is no God? So there is no meaning and purpose in life. Well, do you agree with the atheists who state, that consciousness is an illusion and there is no free will. So that's the best way to give a defense is you get them to expose the lie of deconstructionism in their own thinking. You see, that's really, really important. You should know what you say you believe its implications and then come to terms with why you actually want to believe what you want to believe. So I guess we're going to have to get to husbands another time and the everyone else <laughs> portion because we spent most of today's episode uh, on the wives and, and yeah. feminism. So Well, and we'll I didn't get really a chance to, you know, dig into why for women, uh, Peter's truth is so important because what he's saying is that uh, it, these ideologies are manipulating you and the way they manipulate you is they buy into your sense that you feel devalued. Mm. And when we feel devalued, we have two responses, right? One is rage at the machine. You know, mm-hmm. I demand my rights. I'm going to force my power. I'm going to get justice on everybody. I'm a victim and I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Can I say that in salty pastor? It's uh, your podcast. You can do whatever you <laughs> so want. So that, that's kind of the old <laughs> adage, you know, but Peter says, yeah, that's not going to help you feel value. As a matter of fact, you're just going to propagate this and you're going to be used 
by these ideologies for their own purpose. And that's mm. the problem is you're being deceived and being used. If you really want to find value, then what you need to do is follow the path of Christ. And that means in your marriage, it means in your workplace and in your family. And when you follow the path of Christ, right, even when you find yourself in a unjust situation, if you learn how to have a good, righteous character, you're not focused on your outward beauty, but your inward beauty, what you're going to find is the validation of God. And he is the one who created you. And so value is going to come from that. And that biblical truth applies to husbands and men. It applies to everyone else. It's consistent throughout the whole chapter and it's consistent throughout all of this. We have to be aware of these ideologies. We have to be aware of how they're attempting to manipulate us for their own purpose so that we are not easily manipulated. We are not, you know, riled up like a, a philosophical or ideological lynch mob. And we jump on a bandwagon and we go, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done it. These social theory issues are the ideologies that are driving all of the problems for men today. These social uh, theory ideologies are driving all the problems for women today and mostly for our children. And this is really critically important that we just understand what they are. If people want to believe them, that's their choice. I'm not saying to remove your choice to believe that. What I am saying is that you need to understand exactly what it is that you say you believe. And therefore, when you understand that as a follower of Christ, you can turn around and say, I'm going to choose to follow Peter because I, I have to walk some path. I have to believe something. And if I know what I believe, if I know why I believe it and how these ideologies play against my own soul thirst, right? They will entrap me. But Jesus Christ came for one purpose. And that is, is to help those who are blind. See those who are oppressed, be free. Those who are dead, come to life. Jesus Christ himself said, don't be allow the blind to lead the blind because you both fall into a pit. Mm. We must know the truth. We must know why we believe what we believe. And we must understand that these ideologies are the predominant belief system of the elite class in America today. This, what I articulated for you today is the primary curriculums in all the Ivy league schools from Stanford all the way to Harvard. This ideology is what you will find in every single completely uniform across the board of all public universities, every state university, every university of the state. So whether it be ag based or knowledge, it doesn't matter. You will find this ideology as the singular one. And what you will find today is that nobody is out there except very few voices countering these ideologies that are being propagated to our young people each and every day at the university level. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Doug, for sharing with us today. Um, I know you wanted to talk about a lot of different things, but I think getting yes. into all of that and why it's so important is very important to us. I'm excited to hear what you have to say on Sunday. I'm assuming we'll do a little bit of both of what you talked about today, um, but that's what's amazing about the Salty Pastor podcast is you can deep dive in ways that you can't do yes. on a Sunday morning. So hopefully you guys will be joining us on Sunday morning to learn more about First Peter chapter three. Until then, we'll see you next time. Blessings.